This is Coda Radio, episode 537 for September 28th, 2023. Hey there, friend. Welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the iron and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and juggling like the master entertainer he is, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello. How are we announcing our new download scheme? 20 cents, baby, every time. <laughs> yeah, Per download or per megabyte? Per download, per device. I've learned my lesson from the good folks at Unity. Yeah, I think, I think all we really have to do is integrate some sort of data collection scheme that will probably have more details on and a vague future date that uh, makes sure that everybody is actually paying us. But in the meantime, I think the listeners will just have to do a little self-accounting and then just report back and we'll charge them based on that. Right. And our users pay double. (laughs) Yeah, we're watching those. We're watching those client IDs. Um, So I hear you've been struggling uh, with uh, OAuth again in multiple accounts. Yeah, so this is a, you know, we used to do the Coder Radio success stories. This is whatever the opposite (laughs) of that is. The coder, it's either like it's the coder war story or a horror story. It's it's really a Jar Jar story because it, it was just pure stupidity. So <laughs> you know, I'm doing this work for, uh, on that uh, Unreal game, Path of Titans. It, we love them. Yay! The guy from there was just on Gamer came out today. Oh, great! Yep, yep. And they asked me to do some OAuth stuff on the iOS version of the game because it's iOS, and of course, iOS is a magical pony that has to be different. Fair enough, and they don't like touching iOS. So I do it. For, I would say, a couple days, like two days, I am lost in the dark woods of not understanding why I'm not getting a valid token back. Right? Because it's so it's three step OAuth, you know. Three steps, right? You you authorize, you get them to log in with the you get the user to log in with the third party service, then you send that to your server and you get a token back. Right? Right. Well, there's a couple things here. One, you have to do the the second step of sending the token to the server after you've logged in. Very important. Because you have to log in with both your service and the third party service. And two. If you have multiple accounts and your little uh, iOS WebKit browser has decided to cache one of your account IDs, but it is not the account associated with, in this case, let's say your Discord account that you're trying to log in with, it will simply fail. Correctly, right? Because it will say, well, I have the token from Discord. I know what I expect from this, uh, this gaming account, this Path of Titans account. They don't match. And that uh, stupidity uh, was uh, quite, you know, and I, and I did the thing that I always hate. I ended up asking the, like, one of the, I guess, the big poobah of backend dev over there, like, all right, I swear to God, this is returning something crazy. Within seconds of him, like, reading it and getting back to me, he's like, hey, just look at, there's a, like, a magic debug thing you can do to, to see what's going on if you're running it in dev mode on the tablet. Like, it'll actually render the stuff on the screen. Immediately, it was one of those Homer Simpson's "Don't" moments. <laughs> yeah. So I sheepishly apologize for wasting his time, and uh, yeah, it works now. The thing is, the, the thing is, is like the, the, what's frustrating about it is that's a lot of time not spent actually working on the actual project. 
Well, and so the problem was I had this mental block, right? Because I'm, I'm new to Unreal Engine that I was going down these esoteric like forum threads and stack growth, like thinking it's gotta be some crazy, like I was into the like NS string reformatting to an F string, which is like the string type that Unreal uses. Like I'm really in like the straight up voodoo level of when it was just, I, I just, we've all been there, sir. We've all been yes. there. Um, you know, we were talking last week on the show about uh, folks that are working two W2 jobs at the same mm. time with work from home. And we asked for some feedback and we got some interesting stuff. Uh, the JB Hawk of Truth is back from the shadows and the Hawk says they're going to get caught. He says, with respect to dual W2 employees, they'll get caught. Most respectable firms do background checks. The cheapest tier of reports do not include past or current employers. Really, it's just any outstanding warrants. However, the mid-tier reports certainly do. They also list major debt, current employer, credit, and more. And more traditional fintech firms certainly do that. Yeah, so maybe you only get away with it for certain types of jobs where they're not doing extensive background searches. Yeah, I also wonder, too, like, I, I, maybe it's different, and I guess maybe time zone has something to do with this, but that, like, 10 to 11, you know what I mean? That 10 to, like, 11.30 slot in the morning is super tough, even me as, like, a contractor yes. to juggle because every single customer, right? They, that's always when people want to do, like, their stand-ups or their meetings or whatever. And I know when I'm... Yeah, 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 that's just every company at the same time, right? And so, Or Monday mornings, I know every Monday morning I will have several emails that were sent to me over the weekend where people are going to expect a response within the morning. Yep. It's a lot to juggle. It's Mondays and Fridays are always like the, you know, especially like sometimes it's nice if you're only juggling like one contract because then you're a little more like, okay, I could chill. But when you're juggling multiple, it's like – Fridays, people want to know how did your you know your plan for the week go? Was there any hurdles? Blah blah blah. Do we need to schedule a meeting with another? Right. I hate the term, but resource, right? And the other thing that would seem tricky, right, is things could be working for a bit. Like you're juggling it, and then all of a sudden, one of the jobs wants to start doing a daily, or you know, some sort of sprint where you need to be like online all day for three or four days straight and present, um, or even you know travel to a location and you have to do like an in-person and that just seems like then you're really, really juggling a lot at once. Lance writes in though and he suggested well, – it's kind of actually on the employer. Uh, his handbook at his job says nothing against it. just says doesn't – can't impact your working responsibilities. Um, and he says you know maybe it's not such a bad option because he's working from home. He's got a couple of meetings and he can get his work done in a few hours a day. Is it really so awful if the employer doesn't have any rules against it and if they're not doing full background checks? Is that so bad? I mean, it sounds like their handbook acknowledges that people are doing it. So I think that's a very different case than the, you know, the case of like saying you're working 40 hours and not, right? Yeah, I think so. The other thing, Lance, though, you might consider is if you go into contracting and you're that efficient, you could probably do the, this is hard, but I've seen people do and I've been able to do it a few times where instead of charging hourly, you charge a flat fee for for a project or service, but that fee is like inflated. The exchanges they get of the, the client gets security, right? That they're not going to get surprise bills. If you're that quick and you're like, let's say you're doing the same type of thing over and over again, you just have it down pat. Your margins could be pretty pretty juicy, right? Yeah, yeah, especially if it's something where you can have your own framework ready to go and you're building kind of the same thing for. Multiple people, that could yep. be a sweet little operation if you are if you work like that. Yeah, so it's just something to consider. But No name. Our last one on overemployment wrote in. He writes, over my career, I've seen many people do this. And this year, I decided to try it out. 
get one job as a contractor and another as a full payroll. The job I was comfortable was with was the contractor one, but I was missing the benefits and the tech stack was not my preference, mm. but I could make it work. So I decided to get a second position, something more in line with my tech stack preference. But honestly, I couldn't even handle it one week, not because the workload was too much, but rather I couldn't sleep well at night. I started replying in a bad mood at my house. Yeah, it was just horrible. He says I quitted before the first payroll and I'm not going to do it again. Except for, well, if it's another well-bounded contractor job, but not a full-time position. I've been handling two jobs before as a software engineer and a college teacher, and it worked out. The problem was not the overemployment. It was the overlapping schedules and the context switching. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I wouldn't recommend anyone do this if you care about your well-being. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you, No Name. Yeah, I think it depends, right? I mean, I used to take, like, these Staphog iOS contracts back in the gold rush days and do like you know per project work as well and that was definitely certainly like juggling um again all contracting though right so there's no expectation you know we knew we were playing the field chris we knew we knew this was tinder we knew it was up right yeah ironically one of them was for the company that i think owns tinder iac (laughs) so they certainly own most of the dating apps that came to an abrupt ending once i had kids because it turns out you actually care about your weekends. Yeah, and, and yeah, you need more bandwidth back. You need more bandwidth. And and you know what? As I'm sure you've experienced with three of your own, that call from the school nurse can come. Oh, yeah. Or worse, the school principal. So <laughs> you have to be ready to rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very true. And it gets even harder when you're, when you're juggling multiple jobs or whatever. Uh, one last note before we wrap up on the feedback. Alex... Gigatexel from formerly from Twitter has been blogging about Coder a bit. We'll see if he keeps it up. I'm sure, I'd be curious, Alex, if you do. There's something about Twitter that makes I think people more likely to do these micro updates. But a blog that's a bit more work. But he's been taking notes on the Coder backlog, like he used to share clips and whatnot on Twitter. Mm. And we'll put a link to it. It's gigatexel.blog if you want to check it out. Uh, we'll see where he gets with it. It's been fun to look back. It's been a great resource for the show especially for the member uh, specials to go back and look at some of our old stuff. Yeah, I, I just, I, I did read this this morning and, and I hang on, we're not letting Alex off so easy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. He describes me, I didn't even read the part on you, I'm sure he's glowing about your luscious hair or something. And you know what, honestly guys, it is beautiful. So I don't, I'm not mad at you. Uh-huh. But sometimes Jar Jar Bink, sometimes Yoda, they're the same person, okay? They're both gene, yeah, never mind. Also, objective C, obsessive, and Taylor Swift slash Katy Perry fanboy programmer, I think this dude has a listening device in my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, the truth is, is if you listen to this show long enough, you start to figure out our nuances, I think. Although, um, I don't think you're too secretive about anything. I was going to say, I, not subtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, I think it's pretty, we should put that in our official show bio. It's I should good. just be like on the, uh, on the meet the host thing. Just like forget yeah. whatever you have there, just copy pasta that and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> we had a couple of folks sign up last week uh, for the coderqa.co membership. Thank you very much. It's a great way to support the show directly. I have a very low confidence in next year's ads. So I really appreciate the support and you get an ad free version of the show and the coderly, which comes out in the quarter. And then you can of course get the back catalog when you sign up and you can hear all of them. CoderQA.co for that or Jupiter.party. And thank you everybody who also supports each individual production with a boost. You can boost in and keep your existing podcast app by just getting Albi and then boost from the web. Get Albi.com. You top it off. They have a couple of options directly in the app or you could do something like the Cash app. It's all in the Lightning Network. Then you head on over to the podcastindex.org. You find Coder Radio and you can boost from their website. We'll have links in the show notes. 
And then a portion of your boost goes to Editor Drew, goes to the Podcasting 2.0 development projects, and of course it goes to the network and myself. And uh, is a great way to support each individual production and get your message read on the show. They'll be coming up later on in the show. But let's get into the new IDE from JetBrains. It's called Rust Rover. It's, uh, it's kind of an adorable name. And they write, today we're opening the Rust Rover Early Access Program, and we'd love for you to try it out and give us some feedback. I think this caught your eye. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've the Rust I've done, I've done in uh, VS Code, and it's fine. But I know, uh, myself included, a lot of folks do like the JetBrains IDEs. And this, you know, if... I, I can't imagine there's too many people listening to this who aren't familiar, but basically, like, they have the idea core for their, uh, right? It was, IntelliJ was the first one, right? The Java one, if I'm yeah. memory. The, I think so, yeah. I yeah, think, yeah, memory right. serves. Uh, you know, they have one for C++, one for C Sharp. They used to have one for Objective-C, but uh, they make bad choices, and they abandon <laughs> the one true language. I'm not obsessed. Don't listen to Alex. I'm pretty much in the VS Code way now, but when I was using the JetBrains IDEs full-time, I just had that muscle memory down. I mean, it was it was really good, and their IDs are really cool. They have plugins. I mean, Copilot has a first-class plugin, so I have never not been able to do what I want to do in their products. I do hate that they've moved to a subscription model, but say la vie. While you type, Rust Rover applies a set of inspectors to your code and suggests quick fixes to resolve any problems automatically. Rust Rover offers many refactorings that work across the whole code base, and you can write code faster. I mean, those sound like good things. I mean, we know they make good products. I think what I'd like to know for maybe yourself, and I'd also like to hear from the audience, when I look at these, I see, like, purpose-built VS Code. It's like you take VS Code and if you just stripped it of all the things and only installed a very small subset of extensions, retheme it, re- rearrange it a little bit, that's what all of this stuff feels like to me. And I'm not the ta- I'm obviously not the target market. I'm not not doing much Rust development these days. But it really seems to me like you could just get by with a lot of this using VS Code and the right plugins. And a lot of these just feel like, what, am I going to end up with four or five different editors that all kind of seem the same? Well, well, I think this is the problem for JetBrains, right? The, the truth is not only can you get by, you can, you can thrive. Um, one of their most popular editors is PyCharm Pro, which it, it's pretty good. But the VS Code, particularly if you activate PyLance, which is Microsoft's kind of more advanced uh, Python IntelliSense and suggestion tool. It's I would say like Python's actually like probably the best language in VS Code, at least of languages I work in. Maybe maybe TypeScript is a is a, a match for it. So yeah, although I will say in JetBrains's credit, their Ruby support in RubyBind, which but like you're saying, it's a specific editor for Ruby, right? It's a spe- specific IDE for Ruby, is better than the Rails and Ruby support in VS Code as of now. That's fair. It is annoying, though, that you you really do hit a good point that you're basically going to have, you know, an editor for base each language. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they even have like a specific one for like Angular and React and all those like more heavy JavaScript front end frameworks called I think it's called the WebStorm. I used to use it, but I, I that I that was the first thing I transitioned to VS Code because, again, the TypeScript support is just amazing, which, you know, Microsoft Here's the questions I'd like the audience to boost in about. Number one, do you care you're going to have all these individual apps? That's one question. I mean, maybe it's better, right? The old kind of Unix methodology in a way is a simple app focused on a simple thing, although these are not simple apps. But no. you get what I'm going with. That's one question. Second question I have, 
is this the result of the subscription model? Because I'm looking at Creative Cloud. And since Creative Cloud was launched, Adobe has just seemed to ram as many freaking applications into Creative Cloud as possible. So that way, you know, not only is the subscription more valuable, but then they can even later on differentiate with other tiered prices where they can bundle different apps and whatnot. And they can cre- – and you know how these companies love to create different price-tiered subscriptions. And it feels like <laughs> this is what you get. Just like in the television streaming industry – They've overproduced a ton of original content, quote unquote, so that way they can flush out their streaming services offer. But what you get is like three or four things you really want and then like 15 or 20 just things that they've rammed in there because they need to add out the content to make the subscription valuable. Is this is this what we're is this what we're witnessing or is this is this a wrong take? And I'd like to hear the audience boost in and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Um, You know, I don't know that that's the best take. I mean, their pricing model was originally you just bought the IDE, right? And then there was upgrade pricing and you bought the one you needed. Because in reality, how many people like need all of them? Uh, now it is a little weird because if you need more than one, you're basically better off getting their all access pass or whatever they call it. Uh, especially if you pay annually, which is what I do. It uh, comes out to be the same. I don't know. I mean... I don't like the subscription model. I will say that JetBrains does it better than most, where if you end your subscription, the last version you were licensed to use, you can just keep. Can't update it, but you can keep it. At least that's how it used to be. I'm pretty sure it's still the case. So, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I'm a little more butthurt about it on a, with the Adobe stuff. Like, I have a subscription for Adobe just for the, like, the, I don't know, like, Every other month, I have to use Illustrator to resize somebody's assets or make them SVGs. And I don't want to, you know, do that email thread where they don't know what I'm talking about. Yep. And that's now costing me like 30 something dollars a month when I could easily have spent like, what, what was it, like 200 before? Just yeah. bought like <laughs> any old version of Illustrator. Use it all, for years. Right. All I do is export to SVG. So, and maybe sometimes PNG, depending on what I'm doing. Um, you know, it's usually things like app logos that they sent me in the wrong size, yeah. right? Or, or yeah. something like that. Or like some, the thing that happens to me is like sometimes I need to open up uh, the AI file or whatever it is and pull like one layer out yep. or something so I can have a transparent background or whatever it might be. So sometimes you need to actually manipulate the file. It's not just save it as something else. But every now and then I need to also tweak it. Yeah, they got me there. Yeah. JB has a subscription. Even though I have Linux boxes, there's, you know, there's a couple of Macs around that you know, a few times a quarter, maybe we fire it up and wait for Creative Cloud to log in and resync itself and tell me there's tons of updates so that way it can just open the app. Well, we don't have this in the notes, but uh, Adobe just showed off their uh, cloud. I want to get this right. Their cloud suite with whatever AI power they're doing. And it looks pretty nifty. So for, for the Linux folks, I don't know, man. The bra- I mean, I pers- you know, I've been nailing this hobby horse forever that the these web apps are going to get better and better with the one exception of goddamn iOS. But everywhere else, you're fine, including Safari on Mac, which I think is hilarious. But Adobe also announced they no longer plan to have a free-to-use version of the online photo editing app. So shocker. Be, yeah. Shocker. <laughs> Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices, and it's a great way to support the show. While you're checking out Tailscale, simple, secure VPN network, 
build fast. In fact, if you've got like five minutes, you'll probably get it running on three devices. Tailscale's zero-config approach makes traditional VPNs seem old and complicated and like 90s technology. It's great for anybody, but especially developers who need to set up some ad hoc networking or need access to private resources while on the go. You guys know I do all my self-hosting behind Tailscale now. No public internet access at all. And I often say Tailscale just keeps getting better. And it's true. If you're an Apple TV user or maybe you've been on the fence about getting one, Tailscale is now available for the Apple TV as part of the iOS 17 release that just came out. They now support VPN apps. This is like next level privacy because you can put the Tailscale app on the Apple TV and then you can get access to any of the resources in that tailnet, maybe like a Samba server or a media server. And you can even use the Apple TV as a relay. And it'll even work when the Apple TV is sleeping, which is really handy when you're traveling and you want to use your home internet connection or connected devices you leave at home. Like for me, my solar systems, they're appliances and I can still get access to them when I'm on the go. And the nice thing about the Apple TV is it just sips power. And it can be a tailscale device. Your phone, your Linux desktop, your VPS, a VM, even VS Code you can put on your tailnet. It's really great. And even when you're separated by firewalls and subnets and that dreaded double carrier net, which I can attest, I have been there and done that. Tailscale always just works. Tailscale is just the best way to bring your machines together. Doesn't matter if it's mobile, doesn't matter if it's a VPS, a VM, or a container. Tailscale is the easiest and quickest way to get them all connected and create a mesh network between them across data centers, across architectures, across device types. It's really powerful. And now I'm like all in, man. I've built my work infrastructure on Tailnet. I've got my personal infrastructure on Tailnet. I've even got my kids on Tailscale. So that way I can securely connect to their machines and all of us can share resources on our private Tailnet. It's really great. It'll change the way you network. Tailscale.com slash coder. Get it for free for up to 100 devices and you support the show. Tailscale.com slash coder. Epic Games is making big cuts this week. They've laid off 16% of their workforce, about 830 jobs. In a statement from Tim Sweeney, he's confirmed the layoffs will impact about almost 900 folks. He wrote that the company intends to divest from Bandcamp, the independent music storefront that they acquired just last year. And they're also going to spin off Super Awesome, the kid tech company that specializes in creating, quote, safe online experiences for kids. Epic is hurting. The gaming industry is kind of going through a rough patch. And I, I feel like this background that we're seeing with the Epic layoffs is the context to talk about this recent Utney hoopla. Yeah, for sure. There's also the uh, announcement that Epic is taking Apple once again to the Supreme Court. So yes, there's like, maybe they just got to pay for those lawyers. So I was going to say, got to pay for those white shoe lawyers. It's, you know, it's expensive. What do you want? Oh, it, well, it's uh, horrible. I horrible. hope that's not true. God. And uh, you know what? You got to, you got to give it to our man of La Mancha, Tim Sweeney over there. He's charging as hard as he can. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah he is. He's not backing down, is he? No, he, he, I mean, did you see him on the weapon X this last week? Uh, only what you shared with me. You, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he was doing, but he had another. I think he like sits up at night thinking about Tim Cook and Apple, just like rage, just sitting there. Like, I think it's legit animosity at this point, right? It's it's personal. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because he's looking at it from the opposite position Apple is, so it's he's really they're really at odds on this. <sighs> it's not going to be a pretty fight. Speaking of not pretty, oh unity. Yeah, so Unity, while we were off last week, because we'd done a pre-record, of course, yeah, um, announced a retroactive pay-per-install plan. 
It would require developers to pay Unity a fee each time a game was downloaded once a certain revenue and download thresholds were met. Although how that was going to be tracked was never really disclosed. Uh, At some point later, Unity said the developers would have to self-track that particular feature. And of course, the developers said this would be disastrous for their business. They didn't plan for this in their pricing model. And it also kind of just came out of nowhere. It wasn't communicated poorly. So that led to massive upset. And the community at large felt betrayed by a lack of transparency around the policy and that they were just getting essentially rug-pulled with the terms uh, that they had signed up for when they started using the game engine, when they decided to build their tool. And it was a crazy couple of days of back and forth between the development community and Unity and then their eventual realization that they had really stepped in the dog crap as they tried to walk it back. But they kind of let the genie out of the bottle on this one. Yeah, and there's multiple layers of like... Uh, not greatness here, right? So we should say that Unity is a proprietary game development engine. It is almost certainly the most popular engine, particularly on mobile. Um, Many of those mobile games are free to play, which is important when you're paying per install. (laughs) Because if you're paying 20 cents per install and, you know, only, I mean, the conversion numbers are actually pretty bad, right? This is, you know, most mobile games make no money. That's horrible, right? Because you convert like, what is it like? Five percent is a good conversion rate, right? Yep. So it's it's really they just do the math. It gets it gets really tough. They've also been on this weird kind of quixotic. I don't know why I've got Don Quixote on the mind, but quixotic quest to become like an ad tracking platform. They keep they bought a Iron Source for billions of dollars. They have tried to branch out into non gaming verticals with I would say without being hyperbolic, limited success, very limited success. So what, what, what we should take a step back here. One of the weird things was at one point they just randomly came out and said during all this brouhaha that, well, if you don't use our competitor app Lovin, which is another one of these like analytics and ad track, you know, ad platforms uh, and you use ours, we won't charge you the fees. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> Right. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and there have been complaints about since Unity merged with, I forgot the name of the company, but this other ad company, that they have become increasingly aggressive in terms of data. And it's it's become pretty clear that they see their, you know, future growth, right? Publicly traded company, future growth, fu- future, you know, up and to the right on revenue as these ad and analytics verticals. They've also been increasingly aggressive about selling their proprietary services, which if you've been listening to the show for almost 13 years, you know that you shouldn't do that because they could do this. And if your whole game is built on that proprietary backend, you're screwed, right? I was actually working on something in Unity that I am now checking out Godot for. So maybe more on that later. I think others are as well now, but yeah, the, the, this has been sort of the play all along, right? Like you, you get it out there for as cheap as possible to get as many users on it as possible. So that way the user base becomes the asset that the company can monetize. And now that the money is tight and revenues are down, these companies and from, from Red Hat to Epic to Unity to Reddit to Twitter, they're all looking for ways to monetize now because the easy money has been turned off. They've been using that easy money to essentially 
maybe not technically, but essentially dump on the market for the last five years to a decade, trying to just build that beachhead, get that user base that when the time came, they could flip the switch and begin to monetize. I mean, why else would all these people invest in these companies so that way they could give something away for free, right? These are all extreme capitalists. They're not idiots. They know what they're, they know how to make money. That's what they do. You got to make money somehow from something you give away for free. Yeah, there's like other pay options, but you know, this is, this is always the way it was going to go once things got tight. This is why, this is why we talked about it so long ago on the show when people said that we were running around with our heads cut off or that, you know, the sky was falling and that we were being depressing and that we shouldn't talk about, talk about it. This is why we were talking about it because the ramifications on the tech industry are significant and it's not like they come out. They're not going to make a press release and say, yeah, the money printer turned off so we can't get easy money from VCs anymore. So instead we're pivoting to this. They're not going to make that announcement. The announcement is in their actions. And that's why we've been talking about this global macro picture because it affects all of this stuff. And, and they went too far. They freaked out. They got desperate and they overreached. And then they had to walk it back. But the problem is guys like yourself and many others are now looking at alternatives because the red flags have been flashed. The wolf's teeth have been shown. The taste of blood has happened and people have wised up to it. Now, they're not going to abandon unity altogether, but this has started something that only builds momentum from this point forward, in my opinion. And they picked the wrong business plan. They tried to essentially dump on the market to build as much user base as possible. So then they'd have this option. Turns out that wasn't the right play and that there's plenty of other options out there. And that this is the exact kind of play that open source eventually just eats up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, you know, it's easy to be super negative on this. And there is an argument for just the importance of unity historically in like democratizing a lot of this indie dev stuff. And I do, a, a little bit of me has some sympathy for them because could they have not done this? Like, you know, I bet there were a lot of devs who would have paid something more, right? Um, in fact, the irony is the thing they ended up going with is you choose, you self-report uh, either 2.5% rev share, which is half of what Unreal charges at 5%. But Unreal doesn't charge you till you hit a million dollars. And Unity, I think, starts at 200,000, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, which is not much for a small business. Right, which, well, basically is, are you a business or are you a hobbyist? That's really yeah. what the line is, right? So I, I kind of question a company that big. How did they not have a PR person sitting there and being like, are you nuts? We're just going to drop this bomb. And That's where the desperation comes in. Like they got, they got greedy. They're being pressured. They had to make a move. This is probably this kind of monetization strategy in the analytics has probably kind of been the more, you know, recent conclusion for the last while. This is where they moved to. And so they pulled the trigger because I think things are getting desperate, right? We're at, we're at, the, we're at the period of mass layoffs. Um, revenues are down. It's not great for them. And their new, their new walk back, it's – I don't know. It's, yeah, it's – you know, it doesn't include a promise not to do this again. <laughs> With that said, if this was the original thing and it was like opt-in if you upgrade to the new version, I don't think it's that bad. But that's not what they did, right? And it's pretty clear that had they gotten away with it, they would have just 
done the other thing, which would have, uh, on the bright side though, would have made like free to play games super non viable. Yeah, I guess that would be a positive. I'm a little more concerned about the the focus on like advertising analytics. <laughs> it's just <laughs> in general, but yeah, yeah, advertising. You know the other, the other problem is is that advertising is fine for some things. Some games are you know great with ads, just like some podcasts and some shows and some movies or whatever, you know, can integrate native ads. And some stuff isn't. And some games are not really appropriate for sponsorships. Mm. And that's kind of what makes them fun. So I wonder how that would even work. Uh, or does it mean that if you use Unity and you monetize this way, you have to create a certain type of game that is sponsor safe? That could be a that could be kind of a, you know, a downer on the creative aspect of the industry. True. True. So I don't like it. <laughs> We surprise. Yes. <laughs> Are you surprised, everybody? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, man. Boost gray. All right. Well, let's get to some boost. And a hot again comes in as our baller boost this week with 40,000 sats. Hey, rich he writes using fountain. Love you guys, but not in a grinder kind of way. <laughs> More people are interested in that grinder story than I expected, you know? It's mm, interesting. Very titillating, I guess you could say. Uh, advertisers, I'm just saying per capita, that is a very good market. <laughs> uh, Dave Jones, Podsage, comes in with 25,000 sats and he says, how dare you drop a grinder has openings joke right at the end where I might have missed it. Uh, and and you know what? Dave also does an auto boost of 10,000 sats. So really, Dave's total this week is 35,000, which Ooh. also makes him one of Abala's. Do you think this guy is just trying to make it really hard for me to pronounce his name? F-J-D-K-F-J-R-B-F-J-F-H-S-B-D-K-F-J-V. Or, as I like to call him, F-J comes in with 22,700 sats using Breeze. With uh, no message, just uh, supporting the show, which we appreciate. And Mick Zip's in here with 20,000 sats. He says, now I know very little in this space, but Microsoft offering copyright protections alone, long term, seems like a recipe for disaster. But if they get Google and others on board, they could really circle the wagons against lawsuits or class action lawsuits. It seems like an all in or none sort of situation to me. Do you think I'm off base? So for this for this copyright protection stuff that we talked about for Microsoft last week, for this to really be successful, I guess you kind of would. You'd want Google and Google and Facebook and uh, probably Apple and other big companies that are in the AI space to sort of circle the wagons, right, and offer indemnities. I think you have to, right, or else you're going to create a just a rush of like IP lawyers suing people, right? Like, you know, our wonderful friends from the app app store days suing for an app purchase. Yeah. I think you have to, I I don't know how you avoid if you're Microsoft in particular, and you want people to be using, you know, AI services on your Azure cloud and giving you that sweet, sweet monthly money. Well, they have to have some kind of uh, security that they're not going to get wrecked by, you know, basically nuisance IP lawsuits. Yeah, and then, you know, you could say the corporate AI, that's got indemnity. You know, the open source stuff, you're on your own legally there, which is exactly what happened with Linux early on. Well, and that's probably, I mean, that's that's how it's going to happen, right? I mean, yeah. And that will, in some ways, artificially suppress, I suppose, the open source solution in large enterprises, but then also shops like mine are going to just use the hell out of the open source stuff, which will eventually be great and better. So, all right, guys, have at it. Sure. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. Um, McZip finished up with uh, responding to my question about is Apple's goal of removing all carbon from the air realistic? He says, I don't, I don't disagree that they're virtue signaling, but carbon cycles do go the other way. 
Both plants in the ocean can also be carbon sinks, so they can take atmospheric carbon dioxide and store it. Yeah. I believe it's like when the ocean cools, it becomes a store. When it heats, it releases or something to that effect, and it's just incredible amounts. My question is, why are we focused on carbon when it's like such a – like 0.4 percent or something like of the atmosphere and not nearly as much of a greenhouse gas as methane? And methane is a byproduct of many, many commercial practices. I mean just around here, the oil refineries are just dumping methane into the atmosphere. They just dump it. You, sometimes you see those flames coming out the top of uh, smokestacks. They're trying to burn it, right? But they only burn a small percentage overall of the methane. And methane is much more of a greenhouse gas than carbon. But yet you don't ever hear these rich companies talking about trying to cut down on methane emissions, which some of their manufacturing is a, makes as a byproduct. It's really something. Uh, you sure do if those rich companies you're talking about are like Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's there are a few companies that are like looking to generate uh, Bitcoin from methane off-gassing or like companies that are looking to capture methane from landfills to run generators to create electricity. So there are environmental projects out there to capture methane. But it just seems like an area that's ripe for investment and could make a greater impact than virtue signaling about carbon – which, A, is released from all of the plants and volcanoes in the ocean, and we are literally made of carbon. So when you die, you're going to release carbon into the atmosphere. When you poop, you're releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Like, how are you going to take all the carbon out? But the methane that is, re that is released from industrial applications like oil refinery and manufacturing could literally be capped at the source. And when you put a methane generator on there, the right kind of methane generator, it burns it at 99% efficiency. And what you get on the outside is like water. Like, it's just so low-hanging fruit. But instead, they're going to make a 15-minute video about all of their virtue signaling instead of focusing on something where they could take their billions of dollars and explode that industry, which, by the way, would then also be a reliable load generator for the grid, which would make investments in renewable actually sustainable. But what do I know? Whatever. It just gets me so upset. Mick Lane comes in with 13,987 sats using the index. I'm a little behind, but listening is always a pleasure, even when Jar Jar gets out of the box. But what color and what kind of sats would Jar Jar have on the Magic the Gathering creature card? Oh, Ooh. colors. That's a, oof, I, I'm going to have to defer to you, sir. Mm, so this is a tough one, right? Um, I definitely feel that if this is like post-episode three Jar Jar, especially if you read the old expanded universe novels where he was a depressed clown on Naboo because he realized that he was a dumbass. Um, he's got to be like Rakdos, right? Red, black. <laughs> and definitely Rakdos has that whole carnival theme going anyway. So I'm assuming like a little bit of, uh, he's definitely like a one, one, right. Or two, two. He's not, Jar Jar's not hitting too hard. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to give him, you know what you know Jar Jar is? He's basically a goblin, right? One of the goblin mechanics in magic, Chris, is they can blow themselves up or blow up other creatures to do like a little bit of damage to your opponent. That's Jar Jar right there. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. So he's a he's a red black Rakdos goblin, and I, I'm thinking the artwork. You didn't ask, but you know, let me help you. Uh, he's got to have some sort of jester's hat on, and like maybe a little doll of little little boy Anakin or something, right? Somebody feed this into Stable Diffusion. <laughs> Fourteen instances of Dolly two just spun up. Right? <laughs> we're burning. We're gonna we're gonna Actually, burn you know some carbon on that. You know what? Use some AI. Let's destroy the planet. Right. <laughs> Use generate me the Jar Jar magic card of your dreams. That'd be amazing. Based on that description, we'll we'll pick the winner next week. That sounds fun. The Golden Dragon comes in with a row of ducks. Uh, and he's got this ODB2 hookup, so you can connect it to a Pi and then use Python to pull in a ton of engine stats 
into uh, your, in some cases, like a dashboard or just into raw data. This is so cool. I'll put a link to it. It's on instructables.com. It's ODB-PI. And I've, I think I've seen this in action um, once before. The trouble with this stuff, although it's really awesome, and I actually have a commercial version of this called the Scan Gauge 3, but there's like another level of data that these don't get access to, that you have to have like the $500 or $1,000 mechanic scanner. Like, so my scanner will tell me I have an ABS problem, right? But the really fancy mechanic scanner will tell you it's ABS sensor three has a, you know, XYZ drop in voltage. Like, it'll, it's like totally different level of data. It drives me crazy. There's two tiers in there. So I'd be, I'd be really curious if it can access that second tier. A great link. I'll put it in the show notes. Thank you, Dragon. Purple Dog comes in with 5,000 sats. Here in the UK, it feels like everyone is using .NET. My current job and previous two use it exclusively, as does every job I've interviewed at. I feel like I'd struggle to find a job that wasn't using .NET. It's mostly .NET 6 or 7, but there's a lot of frameworks based around 4 as well. And I haven't touched Java since university. Well, there you go. That's a great perspective. Sounds like .NET jobs are popping off in the UK. (laughs) I have no idea. It's great, I guess. Good for them, right? Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. A lot of dark matter development going on over there is what I think. I think that's what's going on. Yeah, they like their tea dark. They like their development dark. That's right. I guess. That's right. And and their gravies. Sir Alex Gates, the podcasting 2.0 consultant, comes in with 5,678 cents. B-O-O-S-T. Uh, using the index, he says, for what it's worth, Starfield runs perfect on Linux for me now. I think some of the news is fueled by unrealistic expectation. While Bethesda has no saints, are no saints, people need to stop letting themselves get so hyped up. I'm on an AMD Ryzen 7 5800X3D with an RX 6800 XT using Fedora 38. Well, that's great. Uh, I've been tempted because I've heard it's actually playing pretty good on the deck now. Uh, and I'm loving that deck so much. And I think Starfield's something I've been wanting to give a go for a long time. Uh, Sir Alex Gates is also going to be featured on the next episode of Office Hours that's coming up really soon, talking Ooh. about some improvements to the podcasting 2.0 spec to make uh, live station streaming even more awesome. Can, can I give you a, a Mike side hustle success story? Yes, please. And this is an Alex Gates honor. I now have a whopping $35 on Fountain for Gamer. Oh, yes. Hey! Nice. I didn't even know it because I had forgotten that I had signed up. and I <laughs> You claimed your podcast on Fountain? and I guess I did it a while ago, yeah. Hey, now you can pay for a month, to, a month of hosting. Yes. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. I got, I got, I got one of these, like, you know, like when somebody tells you something really mean with a smile, like in a really nice tone? I got one of those in an email from Fireside, God bless. And it basically says, hey, congrats, man. Your podcast is doing so well. You know, you're doing like, you know... 50 terabytes a month or whatever it was. Uh, we're so happy for you, but you're costing us too much money. Pay up in two weeks or we're kicking you off the platform. Damn, two weeks? Yeah, and he's like, uh, I can't help it. You know, our back-end provider costs are going up, and so we got to make these changes. And it's not even like a listed tier on the Fireside site. It's like a private tier that is more than you'd expect per month. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more with Fireside's pricing. It's a lot more than you'd expect per month. <laughs> and it's like, congratulations. I'm like, thanks. What are you going to do, right? Uh, so it's getting more expensive. Iraq comes in with 5,555 sats, helping us pay for some of that. And he says, while I don't want to be tracked online, it doesn't sound like you guys have taken the time to learn about the lengths Google has gone in order to minimize the ability to fingerprint off this, off this new system they're building into Chrome. 
Well, not perfect. It's leagues better than what cookies or others have been. Go check out Security Now, episode 935. Steve gets into the deep dive. You know, I think, Iraq, the problem isn't – I mean it's a little bit of what this new Google identity system service can do is a little bit of concern of what it can do today. But I think ours did a pretty good job kind of speaking to the slow roll evolution of where this goes. And anything that makes it easier to fingerprint an individual that's going to have expanded services that just sort of slow roll out over time makes me concerned. And then let's not forget the kind of sneaky way Google rolled this out. They didn't really talk about it at all. They kind of talked about it as like a sandbox privacy thing on a separate website. And they did the entire thing wrapped up in a Trojan of a new UI to get us all to slam it down on our machines as fast as possible. And I think I just can't help but feel like this has been one of probably like they had a whiteboard of reasons to start the Chrome web browser. And you can't tell me this probably isn't like reason number two or three or whatever it might be on that list, right? Mm. Maybe the first reason is the best Google services experience possible, web standards. And number three is this is how our ginormous alphabet company makes money. We must protect this. And, you know, you could just you could just see the writing on the whiteboard that this has always been ultimately one of the reasons to build Chrome for them and drive adoption is so that way they can protect their core, their core businesses. And that's exactly the move they're making. And it, the, thing, the thing that's concerning is that this fingerprint technology is kind of like a slow rollout. It's going to get worse as time goes on. You think I got that? You think I'm right? Bad take? Yeah, I think, I think they're always going to find ways to get more data and create that shadow profile of you, right? Yeah, and they'll just turn it up over time. They'll turn it up slowly. KTO Dog comes in with 5,000 sats. It feels like there's been a universal realization through the dev world about Python. We have automated updates enabling our on our production server, and I've ended up having to spend days working and dealing with the clown show that is Python, the Python's packaging ecosystem. I've started doing all of our pipelining in Java, and I just have to have that out as a compiled jar file, and then I can sign and lock down in, in the JVM, and it's so much easier to manage than dealing with the virtual Python environments. We've been pouring one out for Java Duke without realizing he's not dead. He's just living in South America doing coke. <laughs> What? <laughs> That's good. Okay. Um, I, you know, what I love is like this Python stuff is just, it's too amateur hour for me. That's what he says, you know? And yeah, I think it's, I, th- I think I really like that boost. I can't put my finger on it, but I really like that. I, I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, <laughs> Java Duke's uh, living it up in South America. Probably is. Probably is. I mean, in terms of the actual substance, uh, the mountain of snow aside, yeah, okay. I mean, the, the virtual environments can be a bit of a pain in the butt, but I I don't think it's that bad. It's better than the Ruby solution, <laughs> which is, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> okay, fair. All right. There's always that bar. If you want to talk about, like, dependency collisions, well, <laughs> Ruby gems all the way. Yeah, but there is something that he's saying. Well, the, the, the big the difference, too, is, like, your, your Java is compiled. So you do just have that compiled jar file that you basically throw up and run. Yeah, whatever floats your boat, though. I mean, what works for you is great. Yeah, man. Thank you for the boost very much. And Faraday Fedora rounds us out with our last boost above the cutoff line. It's a Star Trek boost 1701. I am programmed in multiple techniques. Uh, He says, the scene is future America. Your Apple Watch detects that your heart is failing. But sadly, you forgot to update the credit card information attached to your iCloud. (laughs) So it remains silent. Should have moved to El Salvador and chosen open source. Lol. (laughs) Definitely a theme here today. Yeah. Okay, we're all becoming expats. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I'm going to consider it. I'll tell you what. 
Um, we got 16 boosters with 18 total boosts this week, and we stacked 168,265,000 000 sats, just below that 200,000 goal again. So we're going to experiment with some format options and whatnot to see what we can do there. But if you'd like to help us reach that goal of 200,000 sats, you can boost in. You can get Albi.com. Top it off and then go to the podcast index and boost right in. I'm seeing more and more folks do that or try out a new podcast app. More and more features out there. Podfans is rolling out this week and it's beautiful. Castomatic is just excellent on iOS. And Podverse works across all the platforms, the web. And then Fountain will actually stream stats back to you while you listen. So there's a lot of options at mm-hmm. podcastapps.com. Go check it out and then boost in. And, of course, thank you to our members, coderqa.co. We appreciate you very much. You got a recent Coder QA you can go check out. And dig in, and we do things in that that we can't do in the main show, too. So it's kind of fun for that reason. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the good people this week before we uh, sneak out of here? Uh, I would say go check out Gamer Radio. We have uh, an interview with uh, Matt, who runs all the wrong games, about the Unity situation and some comparisons to Unreal. Definitely get a little more deep onto like the gamer side of it. And... Yeah, uh, other than that, go check out Alice.dev, and uh, I'm on Weapon X at Dumanuko. Yeah, I'm at Chris LES. The podcast is at Coda Radio Show. And you can even watch the live stream on Weapon X. If you follow at Jupiter Signal, we stream all, all the shows to the Jupiter Signal account. Why there and not the Coda Radio Show? Because it's too much work. Because we don't ever post there. And we just don't, yeah, we don't really care. <laughs> but yeah. if you if you want to watch over there or find out about show news, you can. It's great for that. Of course, links to what we talked about today will be at coder.show slash 537. While you're there, you'll see our contact page. You can send an email into the show. We like to start out each show with a couple of emails. So please, please do write in and take advantage of that contact form. The RSS subscribe links are all over there on the page, too. So you can easily subscribe in your app of choice. And if you get a minute, share a segment. Maybe you're using an app that supports clips like these new Podcast 2.0 apps. Or maybe you just got a friend you think that enjoy Coder. That's the best way to advertise a podcast is word of mouth. Because you're you're asking somebody to invest an hour. They're only going to do that if a trusted friend recommends it. So maybe share the pod. It's a great way to support too. We're just grateful you listen. Thank you so much. And we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>